usually, and it should be a goal of every single hitter, in my opinion, is to become more adjustable, you know, to, to right. have and create movements that uh, allow you to sit on a fastball and adjust to an off speed, right? And, and still be able to do damage with that. So I think that should be in everyone's goal. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. On today's show, I welcome Kyle Wilson, minor league hitting coach for the Tampa Bay Rays. Before coaching in the minor leagues, Kyle was a standout at NC State, and he has run the Performance Academy for the last several years, where he focuses on teaching both baseball skills and mental skills. Last season, he was plucked by the Mariners and is now entering his first season with the Rays. On the show, Kyle and I discuss what he has learned over the past year, what hitters meetings look like, how we can communicate better, how to game plan, and how to use pregame as a way to develop hitters. This episode is so good, and here is Kyle Wilson. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. and. For our listeners, I have gotten a, the chance to, to know you a little bit the last, or the I guess the last year, and truly one of my favorite people in the game. A really, really bright individual, and I think you're an up and coming star if you're not a star already. And you would say, "Oh, thanks, I appreciate that," but truly, truly mean that. But for our listeners who want to get to know you a little bit better and a little bit about your baseball background, you know, what is it, and why did you decide to get into coaching? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I, obviously, I appreciate you bringing that up. And in the last year, uh, it has been, you know, a pleasure to to get to know you. I think a mutual friend and Connor Dawson introduced us, and uh, what a great individual he was. And I uh, appreciate him setting us up with this. So, uh, but in terms of my background, man, I uh, I grew up in the Chicagoland area. I uh, played junior college baseball in Texas, and then was fortunate enough to come out to North Carolina. Played at NC State for a couple years, and then again was fortunate enough to get drafted. Uh, where the unfortunateness kind of came in is I uh, went out to spring training or went out to um, Arizona and I played the last month of the season with a stress fracture in my pelvis and kind of a secondary finding when they did an MRI, I had two herniated discs in my back. So I failed my physical, pro ball was all over. Uh, it was kind of one of those times in my life that I was kind of lost and had no idea what I was going to do. So I came back to North Carolina, got a job in the corporate world, uh, quickly, quickly realized that I could not stand sitting behind a desk and had to pursue something else. And really my whole life, man, I like all I, all I ever wanted to do was play baseball. So baseball was kind of that option. So I gave it one more try, went out to Arizona again, did a tryout with, uh, with San Francisco, ended up picking, picking me up, bypassing the medical. And then I had a couple more injuries, and I was kind of at that crossroads again. And finally, uh, I decided I want to get into coaching because, you know, the, the, I guess through a lot of self-reflection, I realized that 
the game of baseball taught me so much about life and how to overcome adversity and uh, just the, the team camaraderie and the friends. And uh, I wanted to, to get into coaching to mentor kids through the game, uh, which had taught me so much. Oh, definitely. And I think that, you know, when we look at why we got into coaching, it's, I, I think, I think I've done, wow, I, probably over 160 conversations. And whenever we ask that question, there's always another coach that had that impact on us, right? And mm-hmm. it may have been one, or it may have, may have been several. It may have been the group dynamic being part of a team. It may have been uh, just the just baseball has a grip on us and it's not just baseball itself like insert whatever sport or whatever we decide that we're passionate about and i think once we get out of it we miss the you know that impact that it had on us and a lot of that is our coaches and so i think especially this time of the year where everyone is getting ramped up and we're all excited uh just we need to remember that also whenever it's the middle of the season that it may be going well or it may be not be going well it's not, you know, it's not necessarily all about wins and losses. We all want to win, but it's also about the relationships and uh, everything that we have on a daily basis. Because I, I think that whenever, especially when we get tired or we get down, or it's a grind at times. I mean, you know mm-hmm. that last year was your first yeah. season in pro ball as a coach and you played. Just to remember that and remember that the impact that we can have and make on a daily basis, I think, is a huge, huge thing. So you decided to get into coaching. And uh, again, you. You started a facility and then you got into pro ball. So if you don't mind, just kind of walk us through that process and uh, then we'll get into some different stuff that you learned last year. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, again, wanting to give back to the game that had given so much to me, I had an opportunity to help start a baseball facility here in North Carolina. Did that for about six years and so, so, so rewarding in the sense that I was really working with uh, anywhere from five-year-olds to 25-year-olds. And I had a a, a big, big uh, age spread, age gap. And uh, I got to meet so many different people, get so many different perspectives with working with certain different age groups. And I think it really helped me out in the beginning stages of my uh, career, coaching career. We decided to start some teams. um, And and really, the goal of, of starting these teams was to try to impact young men and turn them into young men and teach them, you know, life lessons through the game of baseball. And that's really where kind of my passion lies. You know, I'm, I'm on the hitting side right now, but I think why I truly enjoy coaching is just purely, you know, being able to impact and see the development of, you know, kids turn into young men and learn things through this, this beautiful game. I love it. So last year was your, your first year in pro ball and, and I'm about to experience that myself. And, so uh, this is a question that I that I think I've asked every single person that has that went through this last year. You know, we see a wave of guys coming, and you weren't from outside the game, but you didn't jump right into pro ball uh, as as a coach. And so I so I've I've tried to reach out to every single person that I had on the podcast and, and friends uh, from from last year of Hey, what did you learn, and what do you wish you had known going into it? So you you get this job, you go through it for a year. You guys were really good. You had a really good team, and you. You obviously made a, a very, very large impact. But if you're dissecting what you did last year and you're like, man, I wish that, uh, I wish that, you know, last year at this time, Kyle would have known this, what would that be? 
Uh, great question. You know, I think uh, going into it, you know, in the, in the private sector, if you will, um, the majority of the clients, they're coming in, you know, kind of with their guard down. And they are, they're giving you, they're handing your money and they're expecting you to, you know, kind of revamp, give them confidence and, and change um, the way they're currently playing the game. Well, when you get into pro ball, it's a little bit different. You are quote unquote assigned to their coach and um, they're coming from all walks of life, all different backgrounds with multiple different hitting coaches in their life. Currently, uh, they, a lot of them have their, their off season hitting coaches uh, which I think helped for me because I had that perspective. But uh, those players, man, it's, it's more about, you know, establishing the trust and establishing the relationship, asking a ton of questions. Because uh, a lot of them, and rightfully so, I mean, they're 22 to 25 years old and, and they've had a lot of success. So the last thing that they want to hear is kind of your opinions on on their swing, especially early on. So I think, you know, with your first year going into professional baseball and really just changing organizations or having new players it's so important to you know not bark at them at first and have a lot of uh for lack of a better term word vomit about what you feel their swing should look like uh you got to get to know them first and i think that was that was something that kind of hit me in the face right away uh and then i realized you know fortunately i had some some good people in my corner that kind of gave me that advice but those were two i mean that was really really um two different you know ways right so uh the private sector they they have their guard down in professional baseball they have their guard up you know and you got to figure out a way to to kind of get through that to uh help them if they need it yeah absolutely and okay so let's let's get into some actual you know content from what you guys did this this past off season and again the the at the time of this recording there are some coaches who are getting ready to uh to get into the season and there's some that you know in northern states that are still waiting a couple of months so this would technically be their quote-unquote off season but as far as from a hitting perspective and you know just uh, just from an offensive side what are some of the main goals for the off season? And we talked about who you're, you're who you're really talking to as far as the listeners go. Uh, but what what were kind of your main goals whenever you whenever you got done, whenever you decompressed, whenever you maybe took a week or two off, maybe not, maybe you jumped right into it. But what were some of, some of the main goals, and what should they be for the off season uh, when getting ready for the in season? Yeah. So first and foremost, I mean, guys that uh, are in professional baseball uh, or have an opportunity to. You know, have a little bit of a break. I highly encourage you know trying to get set up with some type of facility uh, to to get back to the youth for one, but for two, just to kind of maintain your craft, right? And and um, continue to work at you know connecting with players and uh, building relationships. And you know, at the younger age, you get you get to experiment a little bit more uh, and try some things out and and see if they work. Whereas when you're in season, obviously you don't have that luxury, you know, you're not breaking down swings and uh, completely revamping and or really, you know, trying some outside the box thinking uh, unless, you know, the player is really up for that. And in most cases, you know, you don't have time for that. So um, with that being said, I wanted to kind of expand my knowledge on uh, KVAS. So I've used it for the last year or so, but I really wanted to integrate it into what we were doing from a facility standpoint, really get to understand that system, what those movements movements look like, and then how I can use that to improve player development, you know, with our hitters. So that was first and foremost. Um, and I did that with our program we had. And the second was just kind of along those lines was to 
uh, dive into how the body moves and the, and the biomechanics portion of it. I don't have a uh, sports science background. Um, I've played, I have a sport management degree, but having a CSCS or getting into some type of uh, sports specific movement training is a goal of mine. So mm-hmm. I actually found a, a course online uh, through Nesta, N-E-S-T-A. And I've been trying to hack through that the last couple months uh, to get my biomechanics certification. And it's really just to understand how the body moves more efficiently, you know, and then get to know, you know, exactly when you're talking to some of these biomechanists, exactly what they're talking about. And then be able to take that, you know, high intense uh, language or words and break it down to uh, very simple and complex uh, things that I can deliver to, to our players. So those two were huge. Um, and then from the facility standpoint, man, I, I like being a year away, I had a, a lot of outside perspectives. I wanted to bring in uh, more of a hitting platform for us or a common language for us to deliver to our players. So it didn't really matter exactly, you know, who was given lessons or who was coaching a certain team. Like we had kind of our philosophy and our, our language uh, that made it easier for players to not get confused and to continue to develop. So I've spent a lot of time with our coaches. I went out to uh, the on-base youth seminar in Boston early on just to kind of understand what they were teaching, understand their movement screens so we can implement that in a, in a facility standpoint. So I've been pretty busy in the last four months, uh, but I, you know, I, I truly, truly love this. And I, I think if I try to take too much time off, I'd be going crazy. Oh, absolutely. And so uh, another thing that I, I've never run a facility and so I've, I've never, I've, I've only a couple of times in my career have had guys for the first time and you may have a, a guy for the first time every day of the week that comes in like, like hopefully, I mean, I think that's a great business model. You keep getting guys in every single day, but let's say that, that my son is 16 years old and he comes to you, which obviously I, w- I would send him your way if you were close, but I'd say, Hey, Hey Kyle, uh, I'm, I'm, my son is coming in for the first time. You know what? What are you? What are some of the different things that you do for players who do that? Like again, he's he's let's say he's a teenager. He's in high school, and so what? What does the first day look like for that age of or that group of players? Uh, and and what do you kind of go through? Yeah. So I, I used to when I first started, uh, it would just be a basic you know set up a lesson and come on in and uh, kind of talk through it there. Now, uh, through no experience and and learning kind of what works more, I set up evaluations and they come in, it's an hour evaluation and we're, we're sitting down first and foremost, and I'm asking a bunch of questions about what that player's goals are, you know, where they want to be, what they've done, uh, what they think they can improve upon, what they think they do well. And, And really for those kids that are 15, 16 years old, it's kind of the first time that they're sitting down with a coach. And having to articulate, you know, kind of the way things have been and not have their mom or dad, you know, kind of tell you exactly the way things have been. So we do that first and foremost, and that just gives me an opportunity to kind of get to know them. And then from there, I I do a movement screen on them. Uh, Then I test them with the KVS and I have uh, cameras on uh, the side and behind catcher view. I have hit tracks, I have blast, I have it all, right? And then um, after I get the evaluation done, I sit down with them again, and you can tell this is a kind of a lengthy process, but I sit down with them again and kind of explain everything on the fly. You know, what the KVEST is, what it's testing, uh, 
what certain things are. I go over maybe some movements or some things that they can improve upon. Uh, do a video analysis with them, let them know again what things they can improve upon. And then from there, I um, set up a program for them. And that program is usually, I got to see you at least once a week, you know, through this off season. And, and I think sometimes in the, in the private sector, especially a lot of, a lot of players think they can come in, you know, once a month or every other week and they're fixed. And I, I just hate that mentality. Uh, I, I hate uh, the one-stop shop or, or one lesson and I'm good. You know, this game is extremely hard and it takes time to, to really develop certain movements and, and to continue to progress and get better. So if your son was 16, he was coming in, he'd go through a pretty lengthy process. But um, I can guarantee you he would get all the attention, you know, that he needed and we'd put together a pretty good development plan for him. Fantastic. Uh, again, it's 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 uh, unless we watch guys work every single day, then I think that there are always aspects that that we'll we'll miss. And especially on social media, we see everyone's highlights. And instead of like, hey, the guy walks in for the first day, what are you doing with him? You know, and that's why I like to ask those questions because I think that's something that we're always trying to get better. And when we see everybody's highlight drills or crazy drills on social media, it's like that's not all that everyone does. And that may be a very small portion with a very specific context for a certain person. But, you know, another thing that, that I, you know, I th- so there was somebody that asked, um, asked online this last week before the ABCA started about what, what was like in one word, describe what's most important in the swing. And I, for me, it's, uh, timing and adjustability. Like that's two, which I, I guess that I would have failed that test, but I, I love to talk about, uh, training adjustability because I, I think that and, you know, it's something that, that we can train. So what are some different ways that you guys do that? And uh, again, in the time that we're in, we're getting ready and we're on ramping for the season and getting ready to take swings and games, which are the ones that matter. And so how do we set up an environment to train adjustability in the swing? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just start with the beginning of the off season. If that's, you know, and, and that is, is usually, and it should be a goal of every single hitter, in my opinion, is to, you know, become more adjustable, you know, to, to right. have and create movements that uh, allow you to sit on a fastball and adjust to an off speed, right. And, and still be able to do damage with that. So I think that should be in everyone's goal. Uh, but I think first it starts with just becoming more efficient in terms of how you move. Uh, if you are not, in my opinion, if you are not balanced through your move, it becomes really hard to control and adjust and, and to stay back and to do damage when you are full. And, that's, to me, that's the name of the game because obviously the pitcher is the one that's in control and he is the one that uh, is trying to, or his main goal is trying to get you off balance. And as hitters, we are going to get off balance. So if we can uh, improve upon that, obviously we're going to become, um, in theory, better hitters. So I think first and foremost, it starts with just becoming more efficient movers, movers um, having good balance. But, you know, I think uh, you might have posted this. It might have been a ladder drill, but that, that go drill is fantastic. Um, you know, randomizing your your front toss is huge. You know, throwing fastballs and then mixing a changeup in here or there, uh, playing game type situations. So they're starting to think about counts and uh, a way certain pitchers might be attacking them. Uh, use that a lot, especially, mm-hmm. you know, as we get, like you said, closer to the season with most of these guys. Um, there's, there's multiple drills you can do. Twitter's a great resource. Uh, outside T 
you know, and then, then you're flipping an inside toss to them uh, where they're mm-hmm. having to adjust. Uh, you, we call it the two-headed monster. You can, you know, get two if you're fortunate enough to have two hack attacks and you got fastballs and curveballs. Um, you're dropping them in and it's completely random. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, obviously random BP. And then, believe it or not, this year I had one guy, uh, I won't say his name, but he was struggling hitting off-speed pitches, and especially on the curveball. And he, he would go to attack curveballs and he would kind of completely come up and didn't trust himself to continue to move forward through that move. And I put him in, you know, bad positionings, bad positions and okay. had him, you know, kind of work through the baseball a little bit more. So you can put your guys, in my opinion, you can put your guys in some difficult positions or adjustable, call it off balance positions and train that way too. You know, um, I, so, I think that's, that's can be very, very valuable. Definitely. And so whenever you're talking, again, it's, it's kind of hard to explain in audio and I'm sure you could easily do it with a video. But when you're saying you had a player that was coming up like front leg, like hip extension, front leg, really, really straight or braced. And he was like, he didn't, he didn't trust him, his body enough to like not get into that early. 100%. He was getting down to what we call a pretty good 50, 50 position. And he was down, you know, time in the fastball and you see a curveball and you try to like, yeah, early hip extension. You try to elevate the baseball with his body, get kind of stuck back or kind of like move backwards. Um, instead of just trusting himself to kind of go forward and through that baseball. So um, that's exactly what he was doing. Okay. I, yeah, I just, I heard you and and I thought that I, I, I think that I was with you, but I wanted to try and, and just to make sure. And especially if the, if the listeners, cause sometimes they're listening at, at one and a half speed and they're like, Oh shoot, what did he just say? So perfect. <laughs> I, I, I love that. And, and again, I, I think that I, I, again, adjustability is, is paramount, especially this time of year. And, and if you're not training it, and if you're not having having the, to help them make decisions, uh, I think that that's another big thing that we we need to be helping them with. Because if they're better decision makers, if they're swinging at strikes and letting balls go, or if they're obviously unloading on hanging curveballs this time of year, then they're they're going to be okay. But uh, that's this last year; those were two things that. I really wanted to make sure that we were good at, you know, I, I think that in the past I had been too heavy on drill work and training the swing. And this year I really wanted to focus on environment and helping them to understand one, how their body works through drill work early on, but also having them be able to adjust their body for adjustability and also make better decisions. So, uh, is there anything on the decision training in that we can steal from you? Um, I, you know, I think you're hundred percent right. We do need to, uh, facilitate environments that are, you know, close to, to game. Like I think too many times we get into BP and we've got someone that throws really, really good BP and he's just, you know, filtering balls right down the middle of the plate. And, uh, that's not realistic. So we need to, we need to mix in different pitches and not only different pitches, but we need to mix in our own balls. And I think we can, uh, award or chart you know, decision makings in, in practice, especially if you have, you know, a student manager or an intern or uh, an extra hand, extra hitting coach or whatever that can chart those things. And, and we did that this year and, and uh, saw, you know, a lot of results in it. We rewarded, you know, good decisions in terms of, uh, you heard me say it a lot in, in BP when, when players would take pitches that weren't strikes or they were kind of on that edge zone and not something they could do damage on. I said, good, you know, and I applauded that. So I think we we can learn to reward guys for taking good pitches. Uh, one thing I saw in spring training, which was awesome, is we had a curveball machine 
set up and it was just flipping curveballs right over the middle of the plate. We had one of our players come and say, Hey, adjust that a little bit. I want to see balls. I want to see sliders that are, you know, in the dirt that I have a tendency to chase. So I think in practice, we flip up things that we want to see our kids hit and swing. We don't purposely put pitches that are out of the zone to allow them to take pitches and to work on that decision. So I I do that every day with all my guys. And and I I think that's, that's very eloquent, but it's also very simple. It's make them make decisions every day. And, and another thing that, that I really like to do, I mean, it's a battle. Like pitchers are really freaking good. And so it, every time we step into the box, it's a competition. And I mean, it's mano y mano, best man wins. If he gets you out, no matter if he throws 62 or 102, I mean, that, that's his job. And so I, I love putting a competition element on that. I think the kids love it. Are there any competitions that you like? Or I mean, again, this could be facility side or just something fun that you guys did, something something you, you track or, or just whatever. Or you're just like, hey, you know, line drives to the back of the net today or, hey, we're going to go dirty from 30 feet and I'm going to mix and we'll see how many times I can get you out before you get a hit or, you know, whatever it is. But I love competing. I love getting that heightened awareness. And I, I think that that only makes them better. But I'm also wanting, always wanting to add some different arrows to the quiver as far as those go. But what are some different competitions that you like? Yeah, I don't think we do enough competing in practice. I don't think that when we're in individual lessons or we're in a team setting, in an indoor setting, I don't think we compete enough. And I think kids are, are more worried about uh, their swing mechanics instead of you know getting into the box and, and competing. So. From a facility standpoint, we uh, we're fortunate enough to have a couple hit tracks. We have uh, some high school guys that come in pretty early that are on our, our teams and their college commits, and it's it's pretty cool. And they set up the the hack attack machine and they play the the quality of bat game, and uh, they're challenging each other and going after it. And we've seen some huge results, and they're doing it on their own, and we don't have to kind of be around them, and uh, we kind of give them their freedom to to compete, have some fun, and and it's amazing how much they've gotten better. From a pro side this year, uh, about halfway through the season, I created a competition. And what we did was we graded every single one of their BP rounds. And I had certain deliberate uh, tasks for them to achieve to get a point, uh, be it a low-level line drive, be it a, you know, a backspin ball to the gap, be it a line drive at the, the batter's eye, be it a simple you know, get them over, get them in, old-school BP rounds. And we would chart those, and I would – post them every single day uh, or the next the next day so they can kind of see where they were at. And it was a continual uh, percentage. And then we started adding in even quality at bats. Uh, we called them PTPAs, productive team plate appearances, um, during the season. And we would do those, those metrics and kind of combine them all and create some prizes and awards for them just to get them to compete and, and kind of forget about you know what what that scoreboard says when they step up to the plate and that's you know it's just still posting batting averages and how you know how many home runs and RBIs they have and you know kind of kind of get them to have some fun because at the end of the day man if you're if you're not competing and having fun then you know it's going to be a long long season absolutely i 100% agree with you i i again i haven't experienced a pro ball grind yet but in any in any season that we're in, there comes a time that it's like, man, it's this has gotten to where it's like the same thing over and over. And how do we, if, if we're feeling that and we love practice and we love games, then you know the players are feeling that. And so anything that we can do, again, heighten awareness, uh, get them to focus on the task, get them to focus on just something other than 
just, hey, this is the same routine that we've been doing for like the last, uh, you know, couple of weeks or or couple of days or whatever. Because I think the I was listening to a podcast today and they said the attention span of <laughs> of players or just people today is like eight seconds and a goldfish mm -hmm. is nine seconds. <laughs> and so we have less of an attention span than goldfish. And I think that they said that that kids uh, like 25 and under are so versed in watching videos that they have an attention span of about two minutes and 15 seconds. And so I, like me thinking, okay, so how that's not very, very long. And the, you know, whether you're working with pro guys or, or down, they're usually, they fit within that, that age range. And how many times are we talking for more, for longer periods of time than that? Uh, how many, you know, how many drills have we done back to back on, or back to back to back to back days? And again, it's, if, if they're turning it off, if they're turning off their brain to what they're focusing on, they're not getting any better. They're getting into autopilot. And so don't switch things up. If, you know, just for the sake of, of doing that, if it's something just crazy, but also find ways to tweak it. And I think adding a competition like to BP, like you said, I think that that's just something that they can focus on rather than just, oh, this is BP for the hundredth day in a row, you know? And so and again, it's again, randomized, it's, it's randomized oh, right? So sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's, it's no, randomized. It. It's randomized in the sense that, you know, every day is not, you know, your traditional BP, you know, get them over, get them in opposite opposite round you know five five to the the gaps and you know five on your own that's the old traditional whatever you want to call it, bp but you know we were mixing in a lot of game type situations and or uh, a lot of times i gave them the choice certain rounds like hey what do you want to do here you know what's your approach going to the game we're facing you know a right-hander that's uh, got a lot of ride and and he's his splits are more north south you know, what are, what are you looking at? He's going to attack you on the inner half. He's going to attack you on the outer half. What are you trying to do at the plate? So I, I started to kind of make it a little bit more specific at times to certain players. So they kind of call it out. And uh, again, I think it was it was huge because they, they were, it was not the same, you know, monotonous thing on a daily basis. And mm -hmm. um, and more importantly, man, it allowed them to the, the next day kind of track and uh, create some some fun competition between the guys. They were they were getting after each other, and sometimes getting after me if they didn't like my scoring. And uh, you know, it, it just added a lot more fun in the in the hundred degree weather in the middle of the summer in Little Rock, Arkansas. So, no, definitely, and first, uh, I, I'm a hundred percent in on all of that. Uh, again, it's uh, I I can't reiterate enough that if the brain turns off and they go into autopilot, they're not getting better. And if we can stack a lot of days on top of each other, them getting a little bit better, then by the end of the season, they're going to be where they where we want them, or at least in theory. So we have biases, and you know I think that that the listeners know you mentioned one of mine, which is balance. And so whenever a new guy comes into into the facility, you go through some different data assessments. Uh, you use KVEST, you watch video. What are some What are some things that you're looking for? So this this is kind of curtailed to the the guys that are out there that are watching video that may not have all of the tech and so you're looking for a, a a couple of things maybe or just something that starts that can clean up some other things or just whatever your process is but for those listening who are who may need help with watching video or are curious on what you're looking for whenever you're watching it what are some different things that, that you're trying to pay attention to yeah so again everybody has their biases and like you said i'm a, I'm a huge as you are a huge balance guy and I think the the lower half is is you know the most important part in the swing, and it's it's where I start every time. So 
you're sitting down with me and we're going over a, a quick video analysis, I'm not even really looking at uh, your upper body to start, kind of just focusing on everything from the waist down and how well you maintain the ground. Um, what happens when you start your negative move, right? When you start your load, uh, are you swaying big time? Are your, is your you know, back knee kind of getting outside your back foot? Or, or are you uh, maintaining good angles with that backside and loading into your uh, rear hip? Uh, are you getting, as you start to move forward, are you landing in a 50-50 or balanced uh, centered position uh, that looks pretty strong and athletic? Uh, you have a, a pretty strong firm front side. As you start your rotation, are you maintaining the ground? Again, I think the, the lower half is kind of sets up everything else that works with with our hand path. If we're solely concentrated on our upper body, I think a lot of times we create swings that have a more tendency to, to pull off the baseball and not have good direction through contact. So I think if we have a good lower half, man, we set up ourselves for, you know, for success on the upper half. Oh, fantastic. So an, another, the, uh, another thing that, that you've had to learn maybe on the fly, because I, I don't think that you're fluent in Spanish. At least that's not something that's <laughs> come up in our conversations. And so you, as, as in AA2, you may have guys from Latin America. You may have guys from Japan. You may have guys from it, as any part of Asia or, I mean, any, any part of the world that are speaking different languages. And you've got to, for the most part, communicate different technical issues. You've got to communicate data. And I... I've heard by that time they have a decent understanding of the language, but I'm sure there are still some things that are lost in translation. So what were some different things that you have done to be able to help them get the same amount of instruction and the same, uh, uh, just this, uh, I, that's the best way I can describe it. The same, the same coaching, uh, even though their primary language is not your primary language. Yeah. And, and honestly, I didn't have much interaction with, um, with guys that, you know, really had trouble speaking English. And, and um, you know, I, I certainly want to learn uh, that language. I actually got Rosetta Stone and I spent some time kind of diving through that app. And I had, I was fortunate enough this, this fall to go to the DR for about a week and, you know, spend some time with them and Google translator is awesome, but Honestly, man, those those kids are so smart. And uh, what's amazing to me is that you don't have to really speak. They, they like if you demonstrate and show and and just like the, the power of kind of letting them figure it out on their own through um, just drill demonstrations. I think has a lot of um, power to it. You know, I think too many times if we can if we can speak to them, we want to speak to them too much and and tell them too much to where they're kind of getting locked up. So. Um, you know, I haven't had that much experience. Um, you know, I, I'm willing to learn, you know, if I had, if I had certainly had a player that, that couldn't, you know, speak the language, you know, then, then I would sit down with them and go through Google translator and I, we would work with each other to, uh, I would help him with English and he would help me with, with Spanish, you know, and I, I would uh, embrace that opportunity, but I just haven't run across it yet. And I'm, I'm trying to, to become as knowledgeable as I can in learning. Spanish, but um, haven't really come across many players yet. Cool, I love that, and and again, it's it's a fantastic answer, and and so uh, another thing that I'm sure you you were in Double A last year, and uh, you're going to be in Double A again this year, right? Triple, I'll be, oh, I'll triple be in Triple A. 
Oh, perfect. And so uh, a lot of those guys, I mean, they're a step away. So they're they're going to have a have some different things refined as far as mechanics go. But discussing a plan, approach, and then just how to game plan, and that's something that I, that I want to get better at because it's it's something that unless you have all of those resources, it's really tough to completely dive into you know how what what that looks like. And so what you know what does that look like for you? And, and what were some what's some different advice that uh, you could give me or give the listeners on how to plan, how to have an approach? And when when I say approach, it's like what is your plan against this guy? It's not like, okay, there's a runner at second. How do we hit a backside ground ball to get him to third, right? And so just having a plan, and and what does that look like for you? Yeah, so we, we, um, and and every player is different. And I think that's important to understand is, you know, some players want to know what that pitcher's splits are. You know, when they're ahead in the count, they're behind the count, the count's neutral. They want to know everything. And then there's also players that kind of just want to know what he throws. You know, what's his best pitch? What's his out pitch? Um, does he throw strikes? Does he struggle throwing strikes? Uh, so I think the way I handled it in the beginning of the year, we had, uh, we had player meetings and we kind of went over, uh, a lot of the players pitch characteristics, you know, so this guy's a heavy ride guy. This guy's a run and sink guy. Uh, this guy has, you know, a a bullet slider. This guy has a cement mixer slider. This guy has a 12, six curveball. I mean, we just kind of went over the, the basic pitch characteristics and then maybe some, some findings that, you know, kind of jumped out to me, uh, be it, you know, this guy, when he gets to, to two strikes, he's 60, 70% sliders, you know, like, um, he starts, you know, a lot of batters out with, uh, with fastballs in the inner half plate, whatever it might be. Uh, we kind of was really, really broad with it. And then, um, I left it open for certain players as I got to know them, uh, in terms of what extra additional information they wanted. So I think it becomes more player specific, um, but I think there also is that broad topic that you need to, to bring up with your team about how are our nine guys that are in the lineup tonight going to defeat this one guy on the mound. Um, spend a lot of time about, you know, the ability to kind of control the zone and get this, you know, facing a really, really good pitcher, get this pitcher out by the fifth inning. And sometimes that meant we had to, you know, be a little bit more patient. So we always had a team goal in there. But in terms of how deep we got into it, it was more kind of player specific in terms of what they wanted. No, I think that makes a ton of sense. And and by that level, I, there's some players who probably don't know what they want. And there's some players who probably are like, hey, I just want this against that guy, which is basically what you said earlier. So I'm just repeating what you said. But another thing is, as I think that that's, that's part of the next question that that I'm going to ask. but individualizing development within the team setting like that's something that it's really hard to do and it's you know especially with with guys coming in and out or uh, with high school coaches who are have 20 guys and they may have one or maybe two hitting coaches and just trying to make sure that they're getting better and better and better every single day but what would your advice be to to someone who wants to do a better job of that you know i think it is it is hard when uh we have a team of you know let's say 12 to 15 offensive players and, you know, probably even more for the high school coach. And uh, what I did this year, and and just to speak off experiences, um, we obviously had our early work, but we, we about halfway through the season, we started calling guys in um, for extra early work. And what that allowed them to do was to get more one-on-one attention uh, or two-on-one attention and really kind of ask that player a little bit more questions uh, we weren't kind of cut off by time. 
they got a ton of swings in and then we would send send that player home and make sure they're just back before the game and I think that was huge because it allowed them to one get their rest but then two kind of get the individual attention that they needed and um, we also we also had monthly player development plans and, and development meetings so once a month, we would sit down with with every player, and we would go over. And these meetings, uh, we took them pretty seriously. I mean, we we had fortunately we had enough time, but uh, they would last anywhere from forty five minutes to an hour and a half. And we talked about anything and everything. So, uh, setting aside some time, be it one or two players, be it you know fifteen to twenty minutes, and and constantly meeting with your guys to discuss kind of what's going on, um, and having check ins with them is is crucial. I think sometimes we just get lost in the mix of the grind of the season and uh, we forget to, to connect with our players. So I would encourage everybody to create a schedule and create a, a player development plan and time once a month, at least where you're sitting down mm-hmm. with your guys and you're kind of going over a roadmap of how we're going to develop and then let them, let them take it upon themselves, you know? And then when you meet them in that following month and they're not doing what they're supposed to do, you can let them know. Uh, and then you can also have your check-ins, you know, throughout, throughout the day as well. You know, you don't have to wait till the end of the month to, to have those conversations. So I think just prioritizing, you know, exactly when you're going to meet with certain guys and uh, becoming creative with your schedule and how you can, uh, you know, attain that. So you're putting a lot of onus on them and really letting them lead the conversation and you're just helping guide them? Exactly. You know, I, I think it's important, especially in the beginning, to get to know them and to understand exactly, you know, what they've been taught in the past, what they've learned, what they're trying to accomplish. And then from there, um, you know, create some plans. But a lot of times I think it's so much better when it's, what's, when it's more player directed um, and really coach guided, you know, you kind of give them your input, but ultimately let them, you know, basically feel like they're making that decision in terms of this is how they want to, you know, improve or progress. So it's, it's a lot player, heavily, heavily player guided and player driven. I love that. And I'm sure that, that they do too. And, and again, that's something that it, at the end of the day, Kyle, you're not taking any swings. I'm not taking any swings. And so getting them to, to buy into that and uh, they may have you for a couple of months, they may have you for a year, maybe two years, but at the end of the, uh, again, at the, at the end of their career, they're going to have a lot of different hitting coaches. And so getting them to buy in on what uh, on their own career, I think is is truly truly important. At least you know that's my opinion, and it feels like you share that as well. But something else that I, that I love to ask coaches is about their own learning and just some different things personally about themselves. But you mentioned the class earlier, the biomechanics class. You mentioned KVEST, and so obviously you're you're trying to learn as much as you can in the short off season that we have. But what's something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited? Well, we just, you and I, you know, we just finished up uh, going to the ABCA convention uh, out in Nashville. And, you know, that was this past weekend. So my brain is, is pretty fried in terms of uh, the amount of things that I, I have learned. But, um, you know, recently, uh, I think it's Burtech came out with uh, a force plate kind of certification or introduction. I believe Justin Stone mm-hmm. did it. And it was cool to learn about, you know, that technology. I unfortunately haven't had the opportunity to really dive into that yet. And uh, if I could, I would, but it's really, really in, in intriguing to me. And, and earlier I mentioned, you know, how important I feel the lower half is and the ability to hold the ground. And um, there's no better way to, to really prove that from an objective standpoint than, uh, you know, obviously the force plate stuff. So that class, I, I highly encourage 
um, listeners to go check that out. It's completely free. Uh, but just learning about that technology and, and um, you know, what the, the f- different force vectors and um, how they can, can work to improve a player's power. And, and not only that, but uh, consistency and efficiency, you know, kind of transferring energy from the ground all the way up through their chain. So uh, that's been huge. And then, honestly, I'm reading a book right now called uh, Peak. And it's by uh, Andres Erickson and the power of, of deliberate practice. You know, I've always believed in deliberate practice, but uh, this basically I'm, I'm about, I don't know, maybe 40, 50 pages in. And uh, it's, it's phenomenal mm-hmm. in terms of uh, the studies that they've done and, and how important uh, deliberate practice is. And um, just real quick, you know, I'll throw this in here. Your traditional practice, I guess, has always been what this book states is, is really just all about like completely fulfilling your potential. Uh, whereas deliberate practice is is not about fulfilling your potential, but constantly building on your potential, and that's kind of what I've gotten out of the first you know fifty pages of this book, and it's it's a great read so far. So I highly recommend it. Well, fantastic! What is something that you do in training that your players love? So you showed up tomorrow, and you can you can do facility side, you can do pro ball side, or anything in between, but. What's something, it's a drill or a game or a competition or just whatever it is, if you guys did that tomorrow, your play, you know that your players are going to love it. Yeah, and we already already mentioned it earlier, the competition stuff that I did during the season and the competition stuff that uh, the players do in the facility. Uh, the, kids, the kids love to compete, man. The kids love to have fun. And uh, creating that type of environment for them, they don't even realize how much better that they're getting because they're, they're having fun. Uh, so they love they love to compete, you know, love love to have fun, and I, I'm a firm believer in it, and and I'm going to implement it anywhere I go, and kind of try to be as as creative as I can throughout the year to constantly change that competition, so it doesn't ever become monotonous, it doesn't ever become boring, um, and it, it makes it makes this thing fun, and it's supposed to be fun. Sure. Uh, the next question is it's it's one that. I think again we we talked about biases earlier, and uh, we're never in the spirit of of argument, right? But we we as as coaches have biases that we believe, and and other people may disagree with us about. But what's something that let's say that you have had some different discussions about what you think, uh, or just a bias that you believe that other coaches may disagree with you about? And again, we don't argue. But there are times that there are good discussions that we can all learn from. And what would that be for you? Yeah, I think it, it's it's living on the extremes. You know, right now uh, we have so many coaches that are uh, on one side of uh, of the spectrum, and then others that are uh, kind of holding on, call them old school, holding on to to that end too. And I think you know, I, I personally believe there's a lot of really really good uh, things from call it old school baseball, call it um, you know. Just use an example, a regular BP, moving runners over. There's value in that. There's value in, in laying down a bunt when you have to. And I like to say I like to live in the middle. You know, I, I clearly I believe in a lot of the technology and the way the game's going, and I constantly want to learn and uh, can, can continue to get better, but um, I'm not going to be stuck. So I think I would disagree with a lot of coaches that say that, you know, the, the, team, the team aspect of the game and you know, the old school move them over is not a bad thing. You know, ideally, of course, we'd love to hit a double in the gap. But at the end of the day, I'd rather a player put the ball in play than strike out. Because statistically, a strikeout is the worst outcome you can have as a hitter. 
And I don't know how anyone could argue that. So, um, you know, I think I could have some discussions certainly about sure. um, my approach on that. Sure. Great way to answer a really tough question. Uh, if we walk, came and watched you train uh, just in a cage somewhere, uh, what would what do you think that we would notice about you? What what have players told you that you do maybe different? And I, I know from personal experience and watching you uh, watching you train some guys is you're a great listener. Like I know that I don't know if that's something that comes natural to you, and it's something that I'm consistently working on. So that may be one of your three things or not. But I, I know from personal experience after seeing you train. You are you do a great job of letting players speak their minds and listening before jumping into the conversation. So uh, a little bit of a soapbox there, and, and a little bit more of me than than you for that, which I apologize for. But I wanted to throw that out there. But what w- what would be a couple of things that you think that we would notice if we came and watched you uh, in in that environment? I think uh, if you had watched me four or five years ago, you probably would have you know had a different opinion on that. But um, not a lot of word vomit. Uh, you know, I'm not going to constantly in, internal cue, uh, certain guys, you know, at times I, I do believe in internal cueing. I think there it's, it is important, but, um, especially before a game, I think you gotta, you gotta create an environment that, that allows players to kind of speak their mind and, you know, not constantly be attacking them. And, mm-hmm. uh, if you come and watch my lessons right now, it's, it's not, it's not a lot of internal cueing. Uh, it's not a lot of, um, uh, that's why I say word vomit, you know, constantly feeling like I have to prove myself to that kid. You know, at the end of the day, it's about them. It's not about me. Um, I think you'll see I have a lot of passion and energy. I think they go hand in hand. It's hard to be energetic and show energy if you don't have a passion for something. Um, and, you know, I have a passion for this. And it's really just about developing developing the kids, right? It's not about uh, I, I say this is I can try to make you a better hitter, but I would much rather make you a better person. And mm-hmm. um, I think they'll they'll I see that it. I'm passionate for uh, developing them. Um, I talk to a lot of my hitters about things in life or other parts of the game as opposed to just hitting. And I think they appreciate that. You know, I think they feel comfortable with um, you know explaining certain things or, or sharing certain things with me. Um, that they may not feel comfortable with other people, even sometimes sometimes their parents. Um, and then the last one is is you did kind of allude to it. I, I do like to ask questions and and I like to listen. Again, I think it goes into developing uh, the young man. And if you can't listen and you're constantly interjecting on what you feel and not you know have an empathy towards them, then I think you know you're you're really not doing a good job. So. I try to ask as many questions. Again, I could get so much better at that. And uh, if you looked at me five years ago and, and saw me do a lesson, you would say probably none of these, uh, except sure. for energy and passion, existed. But um, you know, as we continue to grow and as I continue to learn and, and continue to work with uh, more and more people, uh, I've learned that that's you know the best way, at least for me, to to go about things. Fantastic. So you mentioned peak earlier, which is something that you that you're reading now. But if I, you know, new year, new me type stuff, and I asked this question yesterday about, you know, what what are some books that I have to read in 2020? I think I said 2019, and then I had to. I was like, oh crap, uh, we we're in a new year. We're actually in a new dec- new decade. But what are some some different resources that have really shaped you, changed your coaching career, or if you had to recommend one to three books that someone go read? 
or you mentioned the Burtick course earlier, or just a person to reach out to, what are a couple of those things? I think, uh, you know, podcasts are fantastic, especially for, you know, I know in this world we're pretty busy, but all of us have to drive somewhere. All of us probably have to cut the grass at some point. Um, all of us have to ride a bus. So the, the jumping on a podcast, the, this uh, head of the curve podcast that you've put out, man, has been, been phenomenal and been a phenomenal resource for myself. And I know it's been for other coaches as well. Um, attending the ABCA convention. Uh, if you haven't done that yet, I, I think it's a must, not only for uh, the, the speakers and things and clinics that are going on, uh, but for the conversations and the people that you get to meet during that clinic. I think that's the most valuable part is you know seeking out that information and, and different perspective from other people. Uh, it's huge. And it's something that uh, I, I, I thoroughly love. I went to the ABCA, I went to Slugfest, and I went to uh, the on-base youth summit this year. I, I really, really enjoy those things. Um, but in terms of books, uh, the way of baseball was, was awesome. Um, conscious coaching, I read atomic habits this year, great, great book. And I'm currently look, listening to, uh, a man's search for meaning. And I don't, I don't know if it's, it's pretty, pretty intense. It's, it's sometimes at, at times hard to follow. Uh, but it talks about uh, man's daily struggles uh, in in concentration camp and the mental state of all the inmates as they're going through that. And it's really interesting to kind of hear the perspective. And uh, the author has he's a, he's a psychologist and he has a, a philosophy that and, and really believes that you know the man a man's deepest desire is to find meaning in in what they do and and in their life. And he he feels like they do that through work, through love, and through suffering. So. It's it's really really in depth, um, but it's it's a really really good book that you could you know probably have to take in you know ten fifteen minutes at a time and sit back and reflect on. But um, those are are some of the things that are at the top of my list for sure. Well, I love it. And final question for today, since you know we're we're in the new year, did you make a New Year's resolution? And if you did, what was it? I did not. My wife, my wife and I have not really ever made New Year's resolutions, but um, as I sit here and think about what mine one might be, I think having the ability to, and this is kind of off, off topic, but uh, having the ability to kind of separate uh, what's going on at the field and, you know, shutting that off when, when you get home. But sometimes as coaches, man, we wear, we wear our losses, our, our offense uh, is struggling. I mean, Heck, one mm-hmm. one game this year, we we got no hit and somehow managed to win a game. And I was just tore up about <laughs> tore up about uh, why couldn't we get a hit, you know? And and but blown away that we won. And so kind of being able to to separate uh, what's going on in in the game and at the field and and not bring that home and let it wear you down. Because um, at the end of the day, this this game is very very hard. And you know, coaching hitting and and being being a successful hitter is extremely hard as well. Right. And we're going to deal with a lot of that stuff. So I would say that'd probably be one goal that I will probably have every single year. But, um, and I know a lot of coaches do as well, but we can always get better at it. Yep. I love that. And that's something I need to do as well. I, so my word of my word of the year, I will, I, I hadn't really set on my word of the year, but I'm going through stillness, uh, is the key right now. And, and that's something that's hard for me because I do the same thing. You know, I ruminate on, on things that happen at the field whenever I'm at home and, and so a, a couple of things that have been mentioned to me in the last year, which I think are, are appropriate for sharing is, is one, we don't let your family get the rest of you, let them get the best of you, which is something that, that our head football coach here at Union said. And, 
and he said that uh, that he has this card that uh, that whenever he first started coaching, that he put in his on his desk, and so every time he leaves, uh, he sees this card, and it's and as soon as he's leaving the office, it says, "Now your most important job begins." Right? Uh, because at the end of the day, we we want to be really really good at what we do, but whenever you're going home, now your most important job begins. And I, 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 you know, taking care and leading our families, I think is, should be paramount above even, you know, making it to the big league someday as a hitting coach or manager or whatever, whatever we're striving to do. And, and so I love that. And and thank you for sharing that. That's something that I think we all struggle with. I think I, that we can empathize with you about, and I know that I struggle with that too, but if, uh, on a completely separate note, if anyone wants to get in touch with you online, what's the best way to do so? Uh, probably, probably through Twitter. My Twitter handle is K dub baseball. Uh, it's K D U B and then the word baseball. Uh, that's probably the easiest way. Uh, I can give you my email as well. It's K Wilson at T P A N C.com. Um, more than happy to, to have a conversation with, with anyone and regards of everything that we covered today, experiences, perspectives, uh, from both the, the facility side and, and the professional baseball side, that's for sure. And then finally, I'm just going to open up the mic for you. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Uh, yeah, I mean, thank you for the, the opportunity. Uh, Jonathan, thank you for you know having me on, uh, what you've done with this, this podcast and, and uh, how much you've grown it and how much you've given back to the, the coaching community just in providing you know this this service for for us to listen and, and grow has been has been huge and uh, I know to the avid listeners we're all super excited that you kind of get to uh, to achieve you know a dream of yours and, and get into baseball full time uh, you certainly belong there and I'm excited to see and, and watch you kind of grow you know here in the coming years with with Texas and, and through the professional baseball ranks so appreciate you having me on man. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.